When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, American government and civics, second period, hybrid class. Welcome to the midterm review. So you should have this document. Um, hopefully you got it done and did it for extra credit. If you did and turned it in by 210, either by letting me take a look at it in class in your written copy and I signed it or, you know, taking a picture and sharing with me through email or I think maybe, I don't know if there's anything on the Google Classroom. But anyways, uh, if it's gotten to me by 210, it is extra credit. Let's run through it now, though. <clears throat> All right, so units one and two uh, make up the, the probably the biggest chunk of our midterm. And we start off with the Bill of Rights in the First Amendment. So the Bill of Rights, first off, remember, this was an agreement between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists um, for the Anti-Federalists to finally give in and sign off on the Constitution. Uh, there was no mention of liberties and freedoms for us as individuals in the new Constitution. And this is one of the things that the Anti-Federalists had fought for. <coughs> was uh, the Bill of Rights. Now, in the First Amendment specifically, there's five freedoms. Those are your freedoms of religion, speech, and press, along with your right to petition and assemble. Uh, next up is federalism. Federalism is going to be uh, the power-sharing dynamic that we have going on, where we have the states that we have to listen to, as well as the federal government. So it's just the sharing of power amongst the, uh, or between the governments that uh, are kind of over us. The Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists, we already touched on this real quick, but just a reminder, the Federalists were for the big, strong, powerful central government. They were the ones that were, hey, let's, we're on board with this new constitution, we're on board with this new government, and <clears throat> I'm so sorry, I have a cough and I cannot shake it, and I apologize immensely, I know it's probably going to be annoying, because it's annoying to me, and I am mortified, and I am sorry. Uh, anyways. So they were for the, the strong central government, okay? Uh, the anti-federalists were against it. They were like, hey, we're fine with kind of the, the what we had with the articles where the states had the power and the central government kind of listened to us. Yes, let's tweak it a little bit. Let's tweak that articles of confederation government. But <clears throat> let's, uh, let's, let's keep it. All right, and so that's where, where that dynamic comes from, and that's what you got to understand. All right, the formal amendment process. There are uh, it's a two-step process, and there's two potential ways at each step. Uh, the numbers are the same though for each step. <clears throat> so at the approval, or excuse me, let me take a step back. For a amendment to be proposed. Okay, that's what I was trying to get at. It has to start at the national level, whether it's at Congress or a national convention, either place. We typically do Congress because that's what we have in place. Two-thirds of Congress has to say, yes, this is a good amendment. So if I was to stand up at Congress as a congressperson and say, hey, I want to propose an amendment that we pick one time, no more fallback and spring forward and all that kind of stuff. We're going to pick one time, and we're going to stick with it. And I want to amend the Constitution to say that. If I did that and two-thirds of Congress said yes, then it goes to the next step. Okay, The next step is the ratification. 
And you can either do state legislatures or state conventions. <coughs> we typically do state legislatures because we have those in place. You need three-fourths, okay? So two-thirds of Congress and three-fourths of the state legislatures have to agree to sign off on something. All right, the Alliant Thinkers. You've got a couple, but for the test, you got Locke and Montesquieu. Uh, Locke is going to be the natural rights guy, all right? He wrote that um, all of us are guaranteed natural rights, which were life, liberty, and property, okay? Thomas Jefferson will change that to <coughs> the pursuit of happiness. <clears throat> all right, so that's Locke. The social contract is a, he worked on that, Hobbes had worked on it as well, but uh, just locks kind of give most credit for it. But basically it's just an agreement that we come to with the, the government that you know, we could govern ourselves, but instead we turn it over to the, the government to, to govern us. And then Montesquieu, there's a couple of questions about Montesquieu. Uh, he was the separation of powers guy. Um, what that means is basically he came from a time when there was a king and the king could write laws, enforce laws, and judge laws all on the same day. Okay. Uh, and he said, that's not right. You need to have those powers separated out. And so that's why we have the three branches of government nowadays is because of Montesquieu and his separation of powers. All right, clauses of the Constitution. Commerce is pretty simple. Commerce is going to give control of interstate commerce, so from state to state, uh, give the power and the ability to control that to Congress. All right, remember the Articles <coughs> did not allow them to do that. And so it was a problem. And so, hey, specifically, the Congress is the only one that can control that. The elastic slash necessary and proper clause, this allows Congress to stretch their powers. So <clears throat> as long as it says it in the Constitution and Congress is doing something kind of within that range there, they're allowed to interpret the Constitution a little bit. All right, my favorite example is the National Bank. There's no mention of a National Bank in the Constitution. However, because Congress controls commerce and banks deal with commerce, they, can they were able to create one. And this supremacy clause specifically says that, hey, the Constitution and federal laws are the end-all, be-all. They're number one. Okay, They come before state laws. They come before state needs and wants and all those sorts of things. All right, the foundational documents, Magna Carta, Petition Rights, and the English Bill of Rights. Um, <clears throat> all these were documents that contributed to our government okay, and to our Constitution. So, um, you know, the Magna Carta is going to take power away from the king. It's going to give some power to the nobles. Um, and it starts that reduction of power of the government of the king. Uh, and then that continues with the Petition of Right and the English Bill of Rights. The Federalist Papers, these were papers written uh, to support the Constitution. Okay, so they were written to support the Constitution. So they were written by the Federalists. Uh, that's why they're called the Federalist Papers. And um, they are, there's a, it's a series of 85 essays, and basically they just, touch on points that, that people have problems with, with this Constitution. Uh, you know, for example, Fed 51 is about the separation of powers and the checks and balances. So, hey, there's a fear that the government's going to be too strong, too powerful. We don't want to have a king or a monarch or tyranny or anything like that. And Madison and Fed 51 is like, hey, well, you know, we have the separation of powers thing going on with our new government where you have the legislative branch that's going to write the laws. You have the executive branch that's going to enforce. You have the judicial branch, which is going to judge. So they're separate. Plus, on top of that, we have these checks and balances where they get to watch each other. So it's writing to try and calm some of the fears that people have with this new government. All right, the types of government. you got oligarchy, democracy, representative democracy, confederation, and autocracy. So an oligarchy is ruled by a couple of people. So a small group, three, four, five, ten, whatever the small group is. 
the Greeks used this. Democracy slash representative democracy, this is where we basically elect people to govern for us. All right, so democracy is going to be where we elect people to, to make decisions for us. Confederation, this is a small group of states. So, you know, think of the uh, Civil War. The South went to the Confederacy. All right, so it's a group of states making decisions. And then an autocracy is one leader. Okay, and the, the main thing from this is what we're looking for is citizen participation. The democracy slash representative democracy is going to have the most citizen participation. The rest of them are not going to have that much. All right, the Constitutional Convention. Uh, first off, you had two plans. <coughs> you had the Virginia and the New Jersey. Virginia plan, was, remember, was for the large states. They were pretty pumped up about this because uh, they were going to have the power because it helped them because representation was based on population. Small states were like, that's not fair. And so they created the New Jersey plan where everything is going to be equal. And so that's where the, the debate about representation comes from. And they're going to solve it with the great compromise where they're going to say, well, let's just have two houses, one based on population, one based on equality. And so that's why we have a house where the population determines how many representatives you have and a Senate where it is going to be equal. There's 100, so two people per state. Representation, uh, the three-fifths compromise. So um, population was going to count for two things. It was going to count for your representation in Congress, and it was going to count for taxes. Well, the South had this population, um, the slave population, that they had really never counted before. All right, well, all of a sudden now, for representation purposes, let's count it. For taxes, they said, no, let's not. And the North was the opposite. For tax purposes, they're like, let's count the slave population. For representation purposes, they didn't want to count the slave population. So they came with a three-fifths compromise eventually. You know, we snap our fingers and boom, here it is. It took a lot of time and a lot of debate, but eventually they got it done, and the three-fifths compromise is going to count three-fifths of the slave population. All right, strict interpretation of the Constitution versus loose. Basically, strict interpretation is where if it's not the Constitution, you can't do it, okay? Uh, this is where you know, Jefferson was a strict interpretation person. Uh, and when it came time to buy the Louisiana Purchase, he really wrestled with that decision because it's not of the Constitution that the government and he, the president, can buy this land. So can he? And so he really wrestled with that decision because of that strict interpretation, um, the strict constructionist uh, views that he had. Versus loose where, hey, let's interpret the Constitution. So it doesn't say it necessarily, but it says this so we can do that. And um, how that would affect the opinion of the Elastic Clause, well, the strict people are going to be pretty upset. Because the Elastic Clause allows Congress to stretch their powers. It allows them to kind of paint outside the lines of what the Constitution says. All right, the Article, Articles of Confederation, uh, it was a very weak government. It did not allow the new government to solve any of their economic, social, political problems that they had. Um, a couple of the weaknesses, there's no military, there's no ability to tax. So it told, you know, the, the new government was responsible for paying all these debts, but they can't raise any money. So that's a problem. Okay, it took unanimous consent to amend the Constitution. It took 9 out of 13 to get a bill passed with the articles. Uh, they cannot control commerce. They cannot control interstate trade. Uh, they cannot control currency. There's a long list of problems with the Articles of Confederation. Parliamentary versus presidential democracy. So they're similar. You have a, a, a executive for both, and you have a Congress slash Parliament for both. Okay. Uh, the difference is how they pick the executive. So the parliamentary, the members of, of parliament pick the prime minister, and they, they do their thing. The presidential democracy, we as the citizens get to pick our president, our executive. 
authoritarian government versus democratic government basically it boils down to you know who has the the most citizen involvement and, and whatnot and who's the most limited and an authoritarian is going to do what they want to and there's no citizen involvement and there's really no uh repercussions for the government they do what they want okay versus democratic government where they're going to be limited it's going to be limited government the power is the expressed enumerated. Those are the ones that are written in the Constitution. You can go find those things. Uh, concurrent, those are shared powers. So think taxes. Um, you know, if you won a big Powerball, Mega Millions jackpot when you're eligible to, to play that kind of stuff, um, one of the first taxes you would do is write a big check to the federal government for about 35% of your winnings. Um, and then the second check you'd write would be about 5% to the state of Georgia. So they can both tax us. That's a concurrent power. There's others, but the taxes is the easiest one. And the reserve powers, those are powers left to the states. All right, the Declaration of Independence was influenced by the uh, writings of Locke and Montesquieu. All right, the legislative branch, so the Senate and House differences. Uh, so luckily for you, there's a couple questions on the differences, but there's also a chart uh, about that, that lists some of these things. So you're, you, you use the test to help you. But some of the big differences... Uh, you know, the Senate has 100 members. The House has 435. Um, the Senate is going to be six years versus two years for the House members. Okay, uh, Filibuster and cloture. The filibuster, that is a tool of the Senate where they are going to talk a bill to death. It can be ended by a cloture vote. Three-fifths of the senators say, hey, we want to stop debate, and the filibuster is over. Committees is where most of the work is done for Congress. All right, so every... Uh, every person, every member is in a committee, and this is where every bill goes when it's introduced. And that's where they mark it up. They make changes to it. Most bills are actually going to die here in committee. Uh, how a bill becomes a law. So you did an assignment on this. Um, and the process starts with the introduction of a uh, bill. House member or senator does it. And then it goes to a committee where they work on it. You know, you keep this. Keep it. And then it goes to um, from there it goes to a, a, a vote and then it goes to um, give me like two minutes yeah. um, so introdu introduced goes to a committee they work on it they vote on it, it goes to the full House or the full Senate, then it switches gears and goes to the other side and goes to the same process, and then it finally goes to the president, midterms tomorrow. Uh, the redistricting process, the state legislatures will redraw those lines. Uh, the Senate and House leadership positions and responsibilities, you need to know the Speaker of the House, who is in charge of the House. They run the House, and they're assisted by the whip. Uh, the majority whip will help keep everybody in line. Lobbying, this is something that interest groups do. They um, you know, there are people that are lobbyists, and they their biggest tool is they can raise money for um, Congress people's campaigns. And then cross out the 16th Amendment and just do the 17th Amendment, and that's the direct election of senators. And uh, I, I, what I did was I messed up, and um, you need to remember also that it takes a two-thirds vote to override a presidential veto. All right, guys, uh, let me know if you have any questions about the midterm. Sorry I got uh, distracted there at the end, and uh, I'll see you in class on Thursday the 13th.